Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Sri Ganesan, the director of Fresh Chat, a modern messaging software product that helps businesses to have marketing, sales, and support conversations with customers. Fresh Chat started out as Conotour, a startup which Sri founded with a couple of friends. The founders originally set out to build a WhatsApp competitor, but realized that building a platform like that required a lot of capital. So they pivoted and focused on a mobile user engagement platform for two-way messaging inside apps. Eventually, that product was acquired by Freshdesk and became Fresh Chat. In this interview, you're going to hear that story and discover some interesting lessons. For example, Sri wasn't happy about how the sales guy on his team was pitching the product to customers. He felt that the sales guy was underselling the product by pitching just one basic feature instead of communicating the full value of the product. But in hindsight, that turned out to be a smart decision by the sales guy. And Sri shares what he learned from that experience. Another example is when Sri shares how many customers kept asking for one particular feature, but the founders didn't agree. They had a vision for their product and felt that this feature would move them away from that vision. So they never built it. But years later, after they were acquired, they did add that feature to their product. And in three months, they generated more revenue than they had in the last few years. So we talk about how that feature what that feature was, and the lessons the co-founders learned from that particular experience. It's a great interview, and I hope you enjoy it. There's a world where your CRM is powerful, easily configured, and deeply intuitive. Atio makes that a reality. Atio is built specifically for the next generation of companies. It syncs with your data sources, easily configures to their unique structures, and works for any go-to-market motion from self-serve to sales-led. Atio automatically enriches your contacts, syncs your emails and calendar, gives you powerful reports, and lets you quickly build Zapier-style automations. The next generation of companies deserve more than an inflexible, one-size-fits-all CRM. Join 11 Labs, Replicate, Modal, and more, and scale your startup to the next level. Get your free account at atio.com. That's A-T-T-I-O dot com. Hey there, SaaS founders. Are you looking to grow your B2B SaaS business to the first million in annual recurring revenue? I've got something that can help you. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly source of proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with successful B2B SaaS founders who've been in your shoes and are ready to share what they've learned. Each week, you'll get a quick five-minute read delivered straight to your inbox, full of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you tackle those early stage challenges and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. So what are you waiting for? Head over over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. Sri, welcome to the show. Hey, hi, Omar. So I'm going to start with my usual icebreaker. What gets you out of bed every day? So is there a favorite quote that you have that maybe um, will give us an insight into what inspires or motivates you as you work on your business? I think one of the things I really look forward to, you know, and what 
really motivates me is to try to get the best out of myself and the people around me. One of the things I've been inspired by, uh, it's, it's not as much a quote as, uh, you know, dialogue from the movie Ratatouille. Um, so Anton actually talks about right at the end of the movie, you know, he realizes what the chef meant by anyone can cook, right? He says that it's not that anyone can cook, but rather that a good cook can come from anywhere or a good artist can come from anywhere, right? And to me, you know, the parallel that I see at work, for instance, is that great ideas are sitting in all corners of your office, right? I mean, I've made it one of my personal goals to make sure that you're building a great culture and a great work environment where everyone feels empowered to bring their ideas to the forum. And, you know, we are really harnessing all these inputs and feedback from everyone to make sure that we're building the best product out there. Awesome. And I love that movie, by the way. I've seen it five or six times. Same here. (laughs) So let's talk about Fresh Chat and kind of really where the story starts, I guess, is several years ago when you launched your your startup, Conotour. So when you started out, what was the premise? What was the product? What problem were you trying to solve and for who? When we started, actually, we didn't start right away with Conotour. It was just uh, three of us, all of us from the B2C world, worked at places like Verizon, Zynga, eBay, etc., And we were actually trying to build a competitor to WhatsApp focused on voice messaging. But at some point, we realized that taking on messaging app needed a lot of capital. And, you know, building that network uh, was was extremely hard. And while we were building this uh, messaging app, we saw that a lot of our initial customers who were trying out our app used to give us feedback right from within the app through voice messaging because we were, you know, one of the first apps to introduce, you know, messaging through voice in a very easy, convenient way. So we thought, hey, why not take this voice messaging piece and add it to anyone's app, right? So there were so many people back in, you know, 2013 who were jumping on the mobile app bandwagon, building new interesting apps. And we thought all of them can listen to their customers literally. And that's where really Conator started as, you know, a way for a product team to get feedback through voice messages from right inside their app. But of course, over a period of time, it evolved into more like a messaging experience inside the app rather than just a one way. It became a WhatsApp of sorts within the app for a brand or a business to communicate with their customers. So how long did it take you to kind of have that insight? How long were you building the product for? Right. So we built uh, uh, this messaging app for uh, roughly eight to nine months where uh, we were iterating on it. It was more out of, I would say, the thought that, hey, let's build something B2B to support the B2C part of the business. That's how it started, thinking about, you know, what can we build which can make us some money? And uh, we thought, hey, you know, this is something that people are using with us that other businesses would want and, you know, should be using more than would want. I think it was a lot of uh, thought that they all should be using it. So we took it to a bunch of uh, product managers in our network, put it up on Hacker News, saw that people were responding positively to the idea. So we said, hey, let's go ahead and do it. And once we started on that journey, really, we weren't 
you know, really looking at what we were doing before we focused just on building this aspect. And then did you just drop the B2C idea completely? Absolutely. So it was running on its own with no contributions from us for a while. And uh, one day when uh, we realized that the certificate, you know, the SSL certificate had expired, we said, <laughs> let's not bother to go and change that. That's sort of done. That's so funny you say that. Like I, I had um, a product that I had kind of built as a side project m- many years ago and hadn't been really been doing anything with it and um, didn't really want to shut it down. And then I had that email come through about renewing the SSL certificate. And that's exactly what happened. I was like, you know what, maybe this is just the time because I can't be bothered to go and update that certificate anymore. So <laughs> I wonder how many people have gone through that. <laughs> anyway, okay, so you, you've got this idea, you've gone out there and, and spoken to some people in your network. Um, there seems to be some interest there. Well, did you guys raise any money or, or was this kind of a bootstrapped business? It started on the startup journey in September 2012. It took us till December 2013 to get like the first app to use Conator. I mean, of course, we had been building Conator actively from August 2013, right? So, but no money raised till that point in time. We didn't even think about raising money for the messaging app because, uh, Unless we hit a certain viral coefficient, we didn't plan to do it, and that didn't happen. Uh, with the B2B business, the idea was to have it fund itself, really. We wanted to bootstrap, though we we didn't necessarily turn down conversations with VCs. We, we would have those conversations. Uh, eventually, we got into this accelerator program with uh, Target, the retailer, right? And uh, that gave us a little bit of cash to keep the business going. Interestingly, towards the end of the accelerator program, we won this thing called the Q prize by Qualcomm and Axel. And that gave us a shot in the arm that gave us like $125,000 more. And uh, we also got some customers by then who were paying us. So we didn't formally go out there to raise money and raise money, but we had some money that came our way through different means. Uh, the best money is, of course, money you get from customers, right? Totally. Okay, so let, let's talk about growth. What were you doing to find customers? You know, you, you mentioned earlier that you had been kind of going out in your network and meeting people in organizations and, and trying to kind of recruit customers that way. But beyond that, what else did you do that, that kind of worked for you guys? I'd say the first phase was completely hustle, right? Just going to events, meeting people, talking to VCs to get intros into their portfolio companies that are doing well, sharing with them how we could help those companies. Actually, quite a few of them did make good intros for us, which resulted in good business, right? Uh, So that was one of the primary channels. You know, I'd been a product manager before at, you know, different companies, and I bonded really well with the product people in these companies. And uh, that was my route, right? Go and pitch to the product manager, they're more likely to be excited about uh, what we're doing because it's like a new way of talking to your customers, right? And uh, you know, use that path to get someone to prioritize putting this in their app. That was what we were doing. Uh, we started off with smaller apps and slowly started to take our success from those smaller apps to bigger apps. 
at some point we also started doing a little bit of cold email outreach to businesses outside of our country so to take it to north america to take it to southeast asia etc we were doing a bit of cold outreach the sdr model if you if you've heard of it from the following predictable revenue by aaron ross right yeah so just just kind of explain a little bit about that right so the idea is to have a interesting mail which will get someone's attention so we used to build a list of hey these are apps we'd like to work with right and uh, then figure out who people are in those companies guess their email ids verify them using like rapportive and really start sending mails to them right and uh, the mail usually would uh, say hey you know what i've put together this personalized deck for you would you like to see it and those that respond saying yes we then make those decks and send it across of course and then we get into a demo right and uh, that that did give us a lot of good positive conversations with uh, you know a lot of globally promising app startups of course we were focused only on apps uh, the other thing that really gave us some traction was uh, a random post on cora that i'd put up which was like 100 reasons why people will uninstall your app right <laughs> it was like a long list of every possible reason someone would uninstall the app and i think again the product manager audience liked that because they were all trying to solve that problem back in 2014 and it was just that one post and that was generating inbound leads for you yeah i mean more often than not that's how they would discover that we exist then go on to read probably other posts that we had put up there etc but i think that was one of those which caught people's interest because truly this was a period when you should know that a lot of apps were spending a lot of money to get ahead in the race of how many installs they have how many downloads they have right and they quickly realized that the download doesn't mean anything because people uninstall the app so quickly and hence i think there was a lot of interest in figuring out how to stop this you know leaky bucket okay so so that started to get you some some critical mass of customers and beyond sort of the hustling and cora as, as a lead gen kind of vehicle what else did you guys do that helped you grow so there are a couple of things one was uh, we started adding a powered by at the bottom of our screen inside the app so people would notice and hence figure that okay there is this i mean if there's a product manager using one of these apps they're going to know who powers this feature in this other app that they're using right and that gets their interest so that was one thing and uh, we also figured that more by accident i would say we we got uh, one of the largest on demand apps in india to work with us and that automatically led to a lot more in that category you know reach out to us and engage with us so i think thinking about it now uh, people probably call it the you know bowling pin pin strategy where you uh, knock over one and a lot more pins are bound to fall but uh, that's something that worked well for us as well of course the fact that it's a very visible feature in the apps that we work with also made it uh, easier i think in in growing the product okay cool and i know that there were a couple of changes that you've made with the product which there was some resistance to in the early days 
Can you talk a little bit about those and, and share what you learned from that experience? There's definitely a lot we learned along the way. A couple of things we used to keep hearing from the market, right? We're going out there, talking to potential customers. Uh, we built a bunch of features based on feedback. Like initially it was about users giving feedback. Then it also became about the business can reach out to you proactively and engage in conversation. So one thing that was staring at us was a lot of customers would say, hey, you know what? I just want this piece of sending the proactive messages, the push notifications to the customer. I don't think I'm ready yet to engage back and forth with them. I don't think my customer service team wants to talk to the customer yet. In fact, uh, so much so that our first salesperson used to just go and pitch this part of the product saying, hey, you can send push notifications to your customers. And I used to pull him up and say, hey, that's not what we are. We are a messaging product, in-app messaging, native have this great SDK that enables all these features and you're just focusing on the wrong thing, right? In reality, I think anyone who was just pushing forward on doing great push notification campaigns, marketing automation software for mobile back in 2014 was growing really, really fast. And by not making that our focus, we probably lost out on a lot of potential growth we could have had. And surprising, there's one more thing which we sort of didn't listen to, which again came from big customers, right? So big customers, uh, global big customers, as compared to the smaller Indian startups that we were typically used to working with, wanted us to focus more on mobile web. And they were like, hey, I know that you guys have this great solution for apps, but we want one solution to work across web and mobile and mobile web as well, right? And you know, we tried to talk them into trying it in the app first. We tried to tell them, hey, you're not thinking the right way about your mobile app. You're trying to use one solution across the board. That's not the right way to do this. Instead of going and building what they wanted, we were really battling with them about why they should focus more on the mobile app and, uh, you know, pay attention to great service to their loyal customers on the app. I'm curious, the first uh, point that you made about the the sales guy using the marketing automation as a way to sell the product, why was that an issue for you as a founder? Was it because he wasn't getting sales or or it was, it was kind of more about you felt like the vision of the product wasn't being kind of fully communicated? Yeah, it, it was the second one, right? So we felt, hey, there's so much more to what we've built and we don't want people coming in the door for one part of the product and not the part that made us special because there were others doing push notifications, right? So it was more about, hey, we, that's not our USP. Maybe that's what was selling in, in, in that period of time. Yeah. But it sounds like it was working, just focusing on that one feature that people could just get. Absolutely. It, it was. It got us a lot of conversations and then... I guess I would come in and talk about the rest of it and complicate the sale because now <laughs> if I talk about customer service uh, and you know the product manager and the tech guy and get everyone involved, now there were like three teams that needed to buy into the idea. Right? What was the lesson there that you, you learned? In terms of if somebody's listening, they have a product and 
you know, maybe like you, they, they've kind of built something that they're, they're proud of and maybe it takes a little work to kind of really fully communicate what the product can do. And maybe there is one feature that kind of represents 10% of the overall benefit, but it's something people get. Is that something people should think about in terms of, is it better to go in with one simple idea that people can just get and use that as a way to kind of open the door? Or what did you learn from that experience? I think you got it bang on, right? So in terms of how it could have been done, it could have been about getting the door just through the push notification piece, offer that separately, even perhaps, right? And once you have all these customers, it's easier for you to then upsell the other aspects of your offering, the other features, or if, if you want to call it a separate product, you call it a separate product, right? And uh, get your initial customer to convince their counterparts in the organization that they're already using this great software and also offers these additional benefits. I think one big lesson is, I mean, all of us, you know, working on startups, we're probably doing it in the prime of our life, right? We're, we're sort of spending our best years investing them in our startup. And if there's an easy way to get traction, I think we should not be blind to that. We should harness that because the more growth and momentum you have, uh, the more u- resources you can create for yourself and then you know go after your bigger vision. It doesn't always have to start the, uh, the hard way, right? Especially if you're in an evangelistic market, if there's something that's easier, more like a commodity and sells a lot, maybe it makes sense to piggyback on the success of that, the market where you're seeing a lot of demand and then introduce the more evangelistic part of it. And then the same goes for the the other thing that you were hearing from the market about not just focusing on mobile, having a web component as well. And I mean, that's part of what you've done in Fresh Chat, but it was never something that you guys followed up with in Conotour, right? Absolutely. The first time we introduced the web component was in September 2017, a long time after we you know, heard it from the first bunch of uh, uh, customers who were asking us to go down that route. I mean, I can tell you that the first three months of Fresh Chat made more revenue than the whole lifetime of you know, the previous product. <laughs> wow. So why do you think that you resisted offering a, a web component with Conotour? I mean, was it just because there were like a couple of people asking for that or were you hearing it fairly regularly from the market? We did uh, hear it fairly regularly from the larger customers. And I think somewhere we discounted what we heard from them because we thought, you know, the big guys don't know yet. They haven't succeeded on mobile yet. And that's why they're thinking of it this way on the app side of things, right? Because usually for the bigger companies, they were doing apps and faces. They, they did their V1 of their app. It wasn't a success. Most of them in 2014 were thinking of their V2 differently. They were finally getting to terms with, okay, app is not about just getting downloads. People are not going to download me. I need to think of the app as something for my loyal customers so they were also going through a journey of learning what they need to do on their app. And to us, it felt like 
they're pushing us in the other direction because they haven't figured out their apps yet. One more thing probably at the back of our mind was, you know, live chat is a large market. And for whatever reason, doing a startup, we were shying away from large markets. Instead, we were, you know, wanting to create a new market. We thought that was when we truly have made a dent in the world. Right. And and you often hear the advice in terms of focus on a on a niche within a market and dominate that. And then you can kind of figure out, you know, how you kind of expand from there. So what you were doing seemed to make a lot of sense. But this kind of feedback kept on coming back from the market. And would it have been a lot of work for you guys to kind of support, have supported a, a web component? Or was it more uh, based on principle that you guys just said, no, this is not something that we want to go down and we don't want to go down this road? It, it probably wasn't a lot of work. It was more of convincing ourselves that it was a good thing to do for the product. I think partly it was about feeling doing something for the web will constrain what the offering is because back then web didn't have push notifications and we had this whole asynchronous mode of communication which we believed worked better for apps, right? So it was based on principle, partly based on how we saw difference in the platforms themselves. Though I think when you look at it today, today web supports push and we've also figured that uh, you can still have async conversations on the web by falling back to email notifications if even if you don't have the ability to push to the you know end user. So I think what we saw as distinct or you know representative of only mobile apps to, uh, back then are no longer necessarily mobile only paradigms. Like when you think of web today, your users on web are also distracted switching between different tabs, doing different things. So even they prefer to be able to engage with the business asynchronously. Right, right. Okay, let's talk about the acquisition. So you guys were acquired by Freshdesk, when was it? So this happened in uh, December 2015, back when Freshworks was still Freshdesk. How did that come about? I mean, it's a pretty interesting story, actually, where... uh, A friend of mine who was in the VC side of things reached out one day saying one of his portfolio companies was interested in talking to us because they were pivoting into our space. And I was not really inclined to speak to them initially, but he insisted that we give them a chance and, you know, engage with them. I went on to have a conversation, understood that this founder had met a bunch of people who had all talked about connoisseur to him when he talked about uh, the pivot that they were doing. So he was really, really eager to have us on board. When I have, I was traveling to meet this founder, I stayed with a friend and I happened to share with him my reason for being in, uh, you know, visiting the city of uh, Bangalore uh, that day. And he was like, hey, wait a minute. You're building such a great business. Don't even think about selling it. Let's talk about you raising more money. I know these other VCs etc. So we had a long conversation that night. He pitched us to one of his VC friends who then got to talk to us. They had invested in Fresh Desk before. 
they said, hey, why don't you do this with Freshdesk? And at that point, within an hour, we were speaking to, you know, Girish, the CEO of Freshworks. And I think it was a lot about how that conversation went, right? So when in a conversation, the other party, the buying party makes it feel like it's about having a great win for you and your team. It made things a lot more interesting to us. And uh, we saw this as a great opportunity uh, more because Freshdesk, the product, had great synergy with uh, what we were building. And uh, they really saw us as a team that can drive this whole mobile strategy for the company and uh, ensure that you know we were winning in the right areas. So for us, it felt like a great outcome for the product and the team. So you know, we went, went ahead with it. How long did it take you guys to say yes? I think it was just one breakfast conversation with the CEO where we really understood each other. There was a lot of trust. I mean, we had known each other before. We had met at events, etc. So it, it wasn't, you know, strangers meeting. Uh, but I just think uh, somehow there was a lot of trust. We figured that the culture, though we were a small team, we were just 10 of us at that point we could see that there'll be a great cultural fit as well. And of course, there's going to be space for us to continue down our path and make this product successful with, with more resources backing us. Okay. And then once you guys were acquired, the product was rebranded to hotline.io? That's right. What was the reasoning behind that? Honestly, Conator didn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it was a very random name plucked out uh, based on what one of my co-founders, uh, Deepak, his nephew, mispronounced a word as Connator, and we didn't even intend to keep that as the name of the product for long. We just thought, let's not debate too much on the name. Let's first make the product successful. The domain is available. Go for it, right? <laughs> and surprisingly, a lot of people liked the name, but uh, Hotline was about giving a little more meaning to what we were trying to do, which was by then we had a lot of apps that were, you know, of the on-demand variety, which were using us globally, right? So we thought it was all about fast-paced engagement, uh, solving issues for customers really fast, helping you scale your support without necessarily growing the team. So we thought it's like a VIP hotline for your customer to reach out right to you and get a solution. That was where that name came from. And then, I guess about six months ago, you did a, a pivot and then rebranded again. So that's when the product became Fresh Chat, right? Right. So I think Fresh Chat has multiple reasons why we changed the name. Of course, the company itself rebranded to Freshworks and all the products were fresh something except for Hotline. So we knew it needed to be fresh something. <laughs> and we just went with the obvious, which was fresh chat. To be honest, chat does not anymore describe what we're doing because in the new world, people call this messaging, not chat, right? So it's like chat is the old school, traditional live chat products, which are more session-based. Messaging is like this continuous interaction where you can have this conversation across days, persistent conversations with you know two parties, right? So like your messenger or uh, iMessage or WhatsApp. So 
the way we thought of it, though, you know, the Gartners of the world and probably bigger customers know the difference between messaging and chat, the smaller ones don't. So for the smaller ones, what we're doing really is reinventing chat for them, right? So messaging is chat reinvented. So fresh chat is a nice name to go for that. Yeah, I think there's a good lesson there as well in terms of, you know, what you call the product. And I think you're right. You know, if you were looking at like the Gartner Magic Quadrant or something, you'd have to, there's a certain category that your product would be described to fit into. But um, your typical customer probably doesn't care about that, right? And probably chat is something that you don't have to spend a lot of time explaining to them. If nothing else, it it tells them, okay, I can communicate with my customers. Right. Did you make any changes to the product as well when you when you rebranded to Fresh Chat? Yes, we pretty much. Um, I, I would say web became as much a first class citizen as in app when we launched Fresh Chat. Yeah, finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then that and that's when you started to see sort of that hockey hockey stick kind of growth. Absolutely, it made the biggest difference because. Honestly, adding chat to your website is so much easier than integrating an SDK into your app. And I think that alone makes it possible for a lot more people to try it out. I think globally, we're seeing a lot of people move from your typical call center and email-based engagement to trying out something that's you know right there, fast-paced, instant. And that's where you know chat is winning. And really, it's also about, I think, a lot of SaaS businesses right, are uh, looking at messaging and chat as a way to engage their leads on their site as soon as people sign up in their product, right? So have that icon right there, have it so accessible. Have a doubt, they just ping you right there. There's no inertia to reach out anymore. Yeah. So I- I'm curious about when you rebranded to Fresh Chat and you made web as you said a first class citizen alongside mobile so you saw the growth in revenue and i'm wondering did that all come from people signing up for the web piece of this or did it also drive the mobile piece right because what i'm trying to get to is did you just see that growth because there's a bigger market for for the web and you were now offering that and, and you were able to tap into that market or the fact that people started using your web product and as you said, was easier to adopt, did that help to drive adoption of the mobile product as well? I would say it's still probably 70% of these are, I mean, the growth is coming from just purely web. It's just a market thing, right? It's such a big market as compared to people trying to add in-app customer support. But there are cases where people find it easy to try it out on the web or cases where people wanted a single solution across web and mobile. So both of these also exist, but I think largely it is just the web part of it. Okay, so a while back you wrote a post called The Market Trumps All Else, My Biggest Startup Lesson, a year after Freshdesk acquired us. And it's a fairly long article, so I, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. But just 
tell us a little bit about what's the basic premise of what you wrote there. I was thinking of what we were doing with Conator and contrasting it with the kind of growth that fresh desk and you know the other fresh products had been seen right and it became very apparent to me that you know shying away from a market just because there are other competitors many other competitors is a very wrong way to look at things there's a reason why there are so many competitors and all of them are doing well and that's because there's a huge market out there while probably the reason why it's just you and a bunch of you know fewer competitors none of whom are probably growing as fast as they should be in your current market is probably because you're not in the right market and as entrepreneurs we sort of fail to see that we we think of it as yeah i'm going to create this market i'm going to educate the market and we sort of are stuck in that loop right we're we're growing and that growth gives us the shot in the arm but really we're not growing as fast as we should be and unless you have this stark contrast uh, visible in front of you i think you you just stuck in your own bubble and i did see a bunch of other startups who were in a similar phase as to what i was in with conator and i really wanted to help them realize that they need to think again about which market they're chasing and they need to think about is it a hard market that they are in or is it a market where they can grow faster and win by just changing a few things around how they're doing their business or how they're doing their go to market or about the product right and i actually wrote a draft of this sent it to a couple of entrepreneur friends who i felt were stuck and once i heard back from them uh, you know i really heard the article really resonated with them that made me feel that i should put it out to more people in front of more people and uh, that other startups will benefit from reading about this journey and reflecting upon where they are and what kind of a market they are playing in so if somebody's listening to this and they're they're in a that position right now a kind of feeling stuck and maybe their thinking is kind of where you were, right? In terms of if we just hang in there long enough, this market will kind of catch up or, you know, we just need to do a better job at educating the market about the product and what we're doing here. Other than kind of going and reading the the post, which I think people should do anyway, what's kind of one takeaway that you could kind of share with them to maybe start? I, I would say if you're not in a position to educate the market at scale right if you're not in a position where you can make so much noise that the market that you're chasing the changes you expect in the market would be accelerated if you don't see that happening through your own proactive measures then you have no business you know waiting around for it to happen yeah good advice okay so if you could kind of go back to when you started with Conator and kind of give yourself some advice on what you should do differently, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> I maybe build for the web first. Uh, that's just <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, we did a bunch of things wrong. We looked at competitors and said, hey, if, you, if they're pricing so much for their product, ours is better, we need to price more. We didn't 
take the time to find a repeatable, scalable model to sell. Rather, we focus too much on depending on hustle. And I think if we did believe it was going to happen, we should have gone all out, raised a lot of money, made a lot of noise, and uh, tried to change things uh, in the market if, if we really believed that it was going to happen. Yeah. And it's interesting how uh, how things turn out. And, uh, you know, I, I guess the only question really is, is could that have accelerated things for you guys and maybe helped you get to where you are now faster? Right. But who knows, right? <laughs> could have, would have, <laughs> should have, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get on to the lightning round. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, seven questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? To chase market momentum. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I love the book uh, Creativity Inc. It really talks a lot about daily challenges we encounter in creative environments like, you know, software startups and how you should think about leading better and how do you foster a culture of innovation and creativity. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? I think it's, you know, perseverance and really making your own luck. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? One would definitely be standing meetings to make sure that we are fast with meetings. I think the other thing is, you know, being organized uh, through your day, keeping certain times of the day for work that's not so critical or, you know, the writing you want to do, etc., versus things that require some manual effort or just tasks, you know, get them done at a certain time of the day, etc. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Because I've been in this, you know, startup space for a while, often pitching to startups, selling to startups as an early stage startup myself. I think one of the things I've wondered about was what if there were a private simulated stock market for startup stocks. There's so much news that we're all hungry for around these startups as well, right? So when there's negative news about maybe Uber, everyone's, you know, carrying that negative sentiment around the startup at that point in time. And I wonder how, you know, a simulated startup stock market would be. Interesting idea. Uh, What's uh, interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? (laughs) One of the things which I think a lot of people can't accept when I tell them is that I'm a really risk-averse person. I base a lot of my biggest decisions on, you know, what's the worst that can happen. (laughs) And uh, the only good part is I take a long-term view on what's the worst that can happen. But yeah, I think that's a fun fact. (laughs) And, And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? I would say it's, uh, just learning, right? I mean, Um, learning from different people, even learning from characters I come across in books or TV shows. I think I'm always thinking about decisions that others are making and, you know, thinking about how I would have made those decisions. What can I learn from what happened in someone's experience, whether it's in a book or movie or whatever. Awesome. You you successfully made it through the lightning round. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. So, Sri, it's been a pleasure. Uh, So, thanks for joining me and uh, sharing your story. If people want to check out Fresh Chat, they can go to freshchat.com. 
And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm uh, SRI at freshworks.com. That's three at freshworks.com. Feel free to reach out. Awesome. Cool. It's been a pleasure and uh, I, I wish you all the best. Thanks, Omar. Likewise. Bye-bye. There's a world where your CRM is powerful, easily configured, and deeply intuitive. Atio makes that a reality. Atio is built specifically for the next generation of companies. It syncs with your data sources, easily configures to their unique structures, and works for any go-to-market motion from self-serve to sales-led. Atio automatically enriches your contacts, syncs your emails and calendar, gives you powerful reports, and lets you quickly build Zapier-style automations. The next generation of companies deserve more than an inflexible, one-size-fits-all CRM. Join 11 Labs, Replicate, Modal, and more, and scale your startup to the next level. Get your free account at atio.com. That's A-T-T-I-O dot com. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? Well, you're not alone. But the good news is you don't have to settle for slow growth. The right tools can be a growth game changer. And that's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This free guide cuts through the noise and shows you the 12 essential types of tools successful SaaS startups have used to get to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you find the perfect growth tools for your needs. So stop feeling stuck. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock the growth potential you've been missing. That's the sastoolkit.com.